0: Hello and welcome to The World in 10, your daily roundup of the biggest stories from around the world, told with the analysis and expertise of The Times of London. I'm Stuart Willey. Today, I don't want to kill anyone. Hear from a fallen Russian conscript sent to the meat grinder. An investigation into what happens to our clothes after we throw them away. Plus, you want to go for a ride? Jump in and hear how you can vacation like Barbie. But first, a grim milestone in Kenya and a story both upsetting and confusing. This week, the death toll from the doomsday cult in this East African country went above 400, with even more bodies found by police. They've been searching for missing followers of a cult who believed they would meet Jesus if they starved to death. The Times Africa correspondent Jane Flanagan has been following this story. She told us the group was unremarkable at first.
1: The Good News International Church was set up about 20 years ago, and its uh, leader, Paul Ntenge McKenzie, actually began uh, his career as a taxi driver and, and fell into the the pastor role, as actually thousands of people do in Kenya. There are thousands of these evangelical churches inspired by uh, the American sort of model, and they've sprung up in across East Africa, and it's a really unregulated sector, but nevertheless very lucrative.
0: But things turned sinister. The pastor led his followers to a forest near Malindi, a coastal resort. He told them the rapture was coming on April 15th of this year, the end of the world, and they needed to prepare.
1: Followers were locked in their huts in the forest and uh, and told that if they wanted to meet Jesus in heaven, then they had to stop eating. After about 10 days, people were taken out of their huts. Some of them were dead. Uh, some of them were still alive, but they were buried
0: many of the dead were children dozens of emaciated severely weakened people were rescued from the forest alive but some of them continued to refuse food such was the hold pastor mackenzie had over them
1: to date 403 bodies have been found in shallow graves by police but it does seem there was something else going on as well many of those who died were showing signs of being strangled or bludgeoned. And there were even reports from police that uh, some organs were missing. So now there's a whole new line of inquiry whether there was a human organ trafficking uh, sideline mingled in with this whole cult. Uh, Mackenzie is uh, in police custody. He has not been charged yet. And bodies are, are being found every week now. As the
0: war grinds on in Ukraine, we don't often hear from the ordinary Russian conscripts thrown into battle. Louise Callahan from the Sunday Times has seen a diary recovered from the body of one fallen soldier.
2: So it's a series of letters in the form kind of of a diary of letters to his wife. But yeah, this is this is a guy, uh, a young guy, about 31 years old, father of one. His name's Vitali, Vitaly and he's married to a woman called Katarina and they live in moscow and his family said that he didn't have any military experience he was mobilized into the army and sent to the front and uh, in the in the southeast in Zaporizhia, which is seeing really really heavy fighting at the moment so the southeast of ukraine and uh, he was at the front line and he wrote in this a small blue notebook a series of letters to his wife and um, and notes to himself over a period of about a month
0: it's been described as the meat grinder, throwing thousands of badly equipped and undertrained Russian conscripts into battle. But for former construction worker Vitaly, his thoughts were on his baby son, Ruslan.
2: He begins just repeating endlessly that he wants to go home. And I think what's really, really clear from reading these letters is that he just loves his family so much. It was really, really striking to me when I read it. Desperately wanted to go home. He writes again and again, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to make it back to you. I'm going to make it back to you. And then you can see over over time how he gets just terrified. He, you know, he's he hasn't seen war before, and he's lying in a trench, and his, you know, commanders don't care about him. They don't have enough equipment. He just repeats again and again, you know, I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to kill anyone don't want to kill any, uh, you know, he's basically saying that he doesn't support the war and that he doesn't want to kill any Ukrainians.
0: You can read much more from Vitali's diary of his desperation and about how his family learned of his death in the Sunday Times today. Also on the website at thetimes.co.uk, read Mark Gagliotti's analysis of the Ukrainian counter-offensive and how the seeming withdrawal of the Wagner mercenaries and Russians at the top of Russian military could affect the outcome. called fast fashion is in the sights of climate campaigners, critical of cheap mass-produced clothing that's worn a couple of times and then thrown away. To burnish their green credentials, some of the retailers that sell fast fashion now offer recycling points in their stores, collecting discarded clothing promising it'll be reused or properly disposed of. But an investigation has found some of these garments travel 15,000 miles before being dumped or burned in some of the world's poorest countries, countries being deluged by cast-off clothes from the West. Researchers sewed electronic trackers into garments and put them in recycling points and stores. A jacket in Belgium ended up in the Democratic Republic of Congo. A blue sweater ended up in a market in Mauritania. Sunday Times reporter Oli Marsden followed the tracker on one olive green skirt from the centre of London to the UAE and then to West Africa, where he found an open fire and just
3: remnants of clothing. I'm here in the Daldabogu area of Bamako, the capital of Mali, and we're in one of the large uh, landfill rubbish heaps here in the city. Um, It's hot, it's dusty, there are so many flies around, and there are families working in here, children, there are even donkeys grazing on this sort of refuse here. And what I'm seeing mostly is, is shoes, um, clothes. There's a lot of plastic bags, there's a lot of uh, plastic bottles, some electrical items, but there's a huge amount of clothes. And these clothes come from Europe and across the world and they end up in these landfills here in West Africa and people are sifting through the rubbish to sell and to reuse and these clothes are sold on it in markets in the city they're washed and then sold on the side of the street there's a real sort of business in selling these clothes but the conditions here are just horrible to work in You can read more on the Times
0: app or website now, including how some African groups are saying it's time to stop waste colonialism. It's been hard to avoid Barbie this weekend. My walk into the Times newsroom here in London was a bit like this.
2: Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Barbie. Hi Ken.
0: I can. So many Londoners were dressed all in pink, making an occasion of seeing the new film about the blonde haired plastic doll. Some fans, though, take it more seriously than others.
1: I have over a thousand Barbie dolls. My name is Matthew Keith, aka Dolls on the Brain, and Barbie fills this entire room in my house.
0: Matthew hopes the Barbie movie will make it okay for parents to buy the dolls for their kids and also provide more understanding for adult fans.
1: I hope I get less attitude when I photograph Barbie in public. I've been kicked out of the L.A. Zoo. I've been kicked out of Forest Lawn Cemetery and Occidental College while photographing Barbies, so I would love a little more acceptance in public.
0: Now, someone who hasn't been thrown out of those LA landmarks is Imogen West Nights. She's been on a Barbie-themed California road trip for the Sunday Times.
4: And then we were driving along, looking for this place, and thinking, you know, oh, we're we nearly there, we're we nearly there. And then there were these bright pink gates, and we thought, okay, it's got to be that. And then you go inside, and it's a sort of classic motel setup, all pink, just pink everywhere. Pink lounges, the pool is pink, the inflatables are pink. And the reception is pink and the lounge is pink and then our room still quite pink.
0: <laughs> Beyond the decor, it wasn't all bad.
4: I would recommend it. You know, I think if you're if you're a fan of Barbie and you want just like total luxury, relaxation, then why not? I mean, go all in.
0: Just beware of some of the more physical activities.
4: There was a suggestion <laughs> that I could do roller skating on Venice Beach, which I thought about, but I'm very clumsy and i just sort of foresaw that it was quite likely i was going to fall over <laughs> myself so we went down to venice beach and watched other people do it um and then otherwise it was just pink basically the theme was pink 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 as many pink things as you can cram in and we certainly did you know i'd be quite happy probably not to see any more pink for the rest of the year i've got my got my quota fill now So
0: if you need help planning your road trip in a pink convertible or otherwise, there's more detail and some great pictures in the Sunday Times magazine. That's all for the World in 10 today. Thank you to my colleague, Amy Gill. See you tomorrow.